0: What's up guys, we are now live, I am now live, sorry for the slight delay on getting on the air, a couple technical issues here, uh, but we are good to go now. Uh, I am Graham Coffee. this is Dog Central Live, we are here on a Tuesday night, Uh, been off for a little bit recently, uh, on vacation, so good to be back, and uh, really excited to be back because I uh, Woke up one week, or one morning this past week, and uh, was, was up in northern Colorado with my wife, and it was like 54 degrees outside that morning, and uh, the sun was coming up, and it felt a lot like a fall Saturday, and that got me quite excited for college football season, Uh, Here we are in mid-July. I'll be flying out to Nashville for SCC Media Days early next week, and we'll be there to cover all the happenings when Georgia comes to town on Tuesday, and that's always kind of the uh, unofficial official start to college football season. So really excited that, that we're here and definitely we'll be ramping up the amount of broadcasts that we have on this channel coming forward. And uh, won't always just be me rolling solo. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely have a lot of our Dog Central personalities on here um, and uh, all sorts of interesting guests. So thank you for being here this evening. Appreciate you guys uh, joining as always. And a special, special thank you to uh, any and all of our uh, Dog Central subscribers who are present with us, um, you guys give me the ability to do this, right? Uh, you guys make this viable for me to spend my time this way, and so uh, it means the world, the support that you give to the site and uh, myself and Jason and, and John and uh, the guys at My God a Podcast, 100 Sanford, and all of those folks, so... Um, before I go too far down the uh, appreciation wormhole, we will start digging into the big news of the day, which is obviously uh, Georgia and the AJC, right? Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those <laughs> ongoing things that's been happening really since the the tragic accident on January 15th uh, that that took the lives of Devin Willick and Chandler Lacroix and uh, for quite some time the AJC has been reporting on all things related to the Georgia football program and before I get into the letter uh, I want to make a couple things clear on where I stand the first thing is that uh, investigative journalism is good um, people need to, poke around and ask questions and file freedom of information, act requests and, and do things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a believer in journalism. I am a journalist, right? So I'm not, uh, in the camp of, you know, don't, don't poke around, don't uncover anything. Um, facts are facts. And, and, you know, I think the more facts that we have as human beings, the more, educated decisions and opinions that we can form on the institutions that exist uh, in our society. So, um, want to be clear that, you know, whatever, whatever conversation comes next on this show, I am a fan of, of journalism. Uh, obviously if you, uh, have been on the internet today and you, uh, move around in UGA adjacent spaces, You are aware of the fact that the University of Georgia sent a nine page letter today uh, to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and that they requested uh, that the AJC retracts a previous article that they have written. Uh, That article had a very uh, salacious headline to it. Let me just recall real quick what it was. The name of that article was UGA football program rallies when players accused of abusing women. Um, If you subscribe to the site, uh, you might have seen uh, I wrote a little something on that piece the weekend after it came out. Um, I mean, first, I want to say like. When that piece came out, it made me and I think a lot of us who, who cover the team or are close to the program question a lot of things. Uh, You know, it's like, am I being lied to, you know, uh, like is is, are things just drastically different than, than how they've been presented to me by people who are involved with the program or that are are close to the university. Right. And so uh, when that question pops up, you start digging. And, and I, you know, started digging and I started talking to people and I, you know, wanted to, to make sure that I wasn't on the wrong side of this. Because if, I, you know, I, I'm a UGA alum and, and that's always a, a tough territory to, to walk. Like whenever I write something about Georgia or tweet something about Georgia, people are going to assume that I am biased towards Georgia, and uh, I try very hard to to walk a line of fairness and to not just give the benefit of the doubt uh, anytime you know, a, a good story comes out or a bad story comes out. Like I 100 percent am here to form my own opinions. And so when the AJC released their article, uh, I believe 10 days ago now with the you know, the, the big claim in that piece was that Georgia's had 11 players accused of uh, violence against women that remained on the team. And I, I dug into it and I, and I talked to to people again, you know, some people that I talked to previously, I, I asked again, like, you know, are you sure there's nothing to this? And the the answer was unanimous in terms of like, Hey, you know, Kirby smarts whole thing since he showed up in Athens, uh, something that he tells his players all the time is that, if you put your hands on a woman, there is nothing that I can do for you. And that was repeated to me over and over. Um, You know, it it became very clear to me that uh, at least in terms of, you know, interpretation of reality, uh, what was presented in that article and what people who are close to the program experience every day, two wildly different things. And so in that sense, I'm not surprised that this has happened. Uh, but I am surprised just that, that Georgia has come out in this public of a way. Uh, for as long as I have been not just covering Georgia, but following Georgia, I can't recall any time where UGA has come out against a media report in such a strong manner. And I think when you – go through the letter, it's, it's pretty clear why they did. Right. And so, you know, let's the the biggest part that stands out to me in terms of the letter, you know, the, the, they start by kind of going over that charge of 11 players on the team uh, that, that were accused of violence against women. Um, And, you know, Georgia points out as I did in, in my own commentary on the article on our website, which I was very clear was commentary, but you know, there there's only three players named in this piece. So where's the number 11 coming from, which is a question that, that I've had ever since it came out. But um, you know, Georgia says, Hey, look, uh, one individual was not a member of the program when the acquisition was made Athens Clark County police investigated the allegation and determined the activity was consensual and the individual was never charged second individual was suspended immediately when the program learned of the sexual assault allegation. His college career ended without ever playing another down, even though to this day he has not been convicted and remains innocent until proven guilty. That would be Adam Anderson. Um, and the third player was immediately suspended and never played again for UGA after being charged with unlawful surveillance, not sexual assault, as Mr. Judd claims, even though the charges were ultimately dismissed. These are hardly examples of players remaining on the team after being accused of violent encounters with women, much less of a program rallying behind them. And these are the cases Mr. Judd describes as the most serious examples of his claim that the football program actively supports student-athletes accused of abusing women. Um, This is a nine-page letter, so I'm not going to read it all on the air because that wouldn't make for very good uh, television or podcasting, but it is, uh, from a legal standpoint, like it's, it's a surgical evisceration. Uh, it, goes, it goes fairly deep on, on a lot of different claims that have been made by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, over the course of many months. Uh, most of it focuses on the article that came out 10 days ago uh, around the claims that Georgia rallies around uh, players who are accused of violence, against females, but it also goes, you know, deep into uh, different things. Uh, you know, the previous examples of bias and inaccurate reporting section starts at the bottom of page seven, and uh, it talks about, you know, there was a, a piece written in late February about a, how a star football player for Georgia led a police officer in a high-speed chase through the Athens campus. Um, it says police records in the AJC's possession show that the alleged pursuit occurred on a bypass outside of Athens, and the student athlete was not aware he was being pursued. And at no point was the officer directly behind the vehicle with his lights or sirens activated. Um, it's 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 pretty incredible to see this. I I, I don't think that. I'm just—I'm having a hard time recalling a, a university coming out against published reports, a college football program coming out against published reports in this strong of a way. And I, yeah, you know, the question is why. Um, the timing of this is not a coincidence, right? ST Media Days is a week from now. Kirby Smart, uh, you know, a little less than a week from now is going to stand up on a podium in front of a bunch of us and we're all going to have the opportunity to ask questions. And I mean, you know, I've been thinking about that day for a little while now, and I've been thinking about, you know, how interesting or maybe uncomfortable, or I'm not sure what the the right uh, word would be that that press conference could be with, with some of the recent coverage of Georgia football, just because you're not just going to have UGA beat reporters at SEC media days. You're going to have, everybody there. Uh, And so a lot of questions um, that probably were going to be asked uh, here in the near future next week in Nashville. I think Georgia is answering those questions now. Um, (sighs) There is a lot of times where uh, an article comes out and a publication presents facts and then they, they editorialize those facts and uh, an institution or a head coach or an athletic director is going to disagree with how those facts were editorialized. This is a step further than that. This is basically saying, no, like your, your facts are wrong. The premise of this is wrong. Not just your opinions, not just the editorialization of it, but uh, the actual f- basis That you started with the foundation of your take is is wrong so you know your your take basically has to be wrong um i don't know what's going to happen with this in the long run like how you know how will the atlanta journal constitution handle this i no publication ever wants to write a retraction um a lot of times they should be written and they don't get written but we will see um I'm not surprised that, you know, there's there's people coming forward saying that they're misquoted and telling that to UGA's legal counsel. Uh, I I spoke with uh, Jalen Carter's attorney, Kim Stevens, the day that Carter, uh, you know, put out a statement through through the attorney and and basically, you know, announced that that he was going to plead guilty to some charges uh, that, you know, that statement from Stevens said that. Jalen Carter never fled the scene of the accident on January 15th. And then within a couple of hours, the AJC published an article and it quoted Stevens as saying that he did not dispute the AJC's reporting, which I felt like his statement was in contrast with that. The statement in and of itself disputed the reporting, so I called him up and uh, you know basically asked him what the deal was, and he said that when the AJC reporter called and asked if he disputed the Atlanta journal constitution's reporting that he told him he couldn't dispute reporting that he never read. Uh, so, you know, there, there's been some things here for a little while that, you know, make it clear that there's maybe not just a, a clear presentation of the facts that's been happening. Um, the thing that I, want to be clear on is that Georgia can put out a statement and has put out a statement saying that the the AJC has gotten some of these facts wrong. That does not mean that bad things haven't gone on in Athens over, over the last, you know, six, seven, eight months of of the off season. Like the speeding thing is a very real problem. Um, That has to be fixed. And that's not, something I think that Georgia disputes and I, and I, I've already seen. So what happened when, when Alan Judd's original article came out on, uh, Georgia's rallying around players accused of violence against women is that a bunch of national media personalities took that article, took it at face value and then manufactured their own takes, based off of the conclusions of that article, you know, that I've seen Georgia compared to uh, Michigan state or Baylor, or, you know, people talking about basically how Georgia is barreling out of control, headlong into disaster. And that pretty soon we're going to see, you know, Georgia go down uh, as, as one of these college athletics programs that is, Basically destroyed by scandal, and um, you know, I, I listened to a national podcast that that I enjoy, that I listen to fairly regularly, and and I listened to the, the host sit there and say, you know, not even the mayor of Athens or the president of the university or the athletic director can control Kirby Smart, and that was based off of this article. So I think it's not just important to analyze and read the letter that the UGA put out about that article and, and, you know, make your own conclusions on it. But it's also important to, to look at how much aggregation happened with that article. And the fact that rival coaching staffs have been screenshotting it and sending it to recruits and, and everyone took everything in it at face value. Now I'm not sure, you know, like a public fight with the AJC is not something that I expected Georgia to, to go down the road with, but at some point you do have to draw a line in the sand. And I I think that's what Georgia has done here. And you know, I I think Georgia has made it very clear. Like we're not going to stand by while you print false things. Um, Georgia can't do anything about opinions that they disagree with. But if you get the facts wrong, as we're seeing now, like they, they can say something about it and they are saying something about it. Do I expect Georgia to sue the Atlanta Journal-Constitution? No, absolutely not. Um, I'm almost curious if that's not maybe uh, an outcome that the AJC would like because it would – lead to discovery on both sides and, and the AJC could they could dig for whatever they want, right? Um, I mean, Chip Towers put out an article this afternoon um, about the meeting that UGA had today uh, with, with select members of, of the beat around this whole issue. And to my knowledge, he was in that that meeting. I know a couple representatives of the Atlanta Journal constitution were in that meeting and his article this afternoon said that, uh, Georgia does not dispute, did not dispute that there were, you know, 11 players who have remained on the team after acts of violence against women. So, uh, this, this letter, 100% disputes that claim. And so I'm almost curious if, uh, If the Atlanta Constitution, you know, almost at this point wants to push this further, because if you push it further, then maybe maybe you uh, are kind of like daring them to sue you. And then who knows what you find in discovery? And maybe maybe what you thought was there all along actually ends up being there. My personal take uh, is that that's not the case. And um, I want to give credit to my friend, uh, Sarah on this she is an attorney uh, has worked in atlanta and athens um if you're a, a georgia twitter person you probably know her uh her twitter handle is at sarah g 1561 um but you know she she brought up the fact that to her the most important part of this letter isn't the facts in it it's UGA basically pushing uh all of its chips to the middle of the table like it, it, it's, you know it's basically saying we don't have any skeletons in the closet and we dare you to find them. Um, and she's right. Like you can't bluff at this point. Like they are all in. And so uh, this letter is basically like, it's, it's almost daring anyone to come and come and get them. Um, so her point or opinion on Twitter is basically that, you know, if, if they're doing this, then there's probably been a very thorough internal look of Let's make sure we have all our bases covered and we're not going to look like idiots later for for putting out this letter and kind of, you know, uh, saying we're, we're, we're on the high ground here. Um, and uh, she's, she also says Michael Raber, who is the uh, UGA counsel who wrote this letter to the AJC, the demand of retraction letter, is a very smart and scrupulous lawyer, and he understands all potential outcomes from this. Um, so... I think uh, she's probably right about that. Um, I am interested to see where things go from here. Um, you know, I, I think that there is going to be a a response. You know, like I, I, I in a way, I think this almost makes the story stay in the media longer. But um, I I also am curious to see if like, I've already seen some national media personalities look at this letter and basically come to the conclusion of this is Georgia going on the offensive prior to sec media days next week. Uh, You know that this is a good crisis management strategy go on the offensive and point the finger at the SEC, or I'm sorry, at the AJC and that that will obscure problems inside the program. And I think for me, uh, you see this happen anytime a journalist or a a publication gets kind of attacked or, uh, you know, someone calls them out, you will, you will see, a lot of other media members kind of like run to the defense of that publication or of that journalist. Um, Yeah. Georgia's coming out and saying that they disagree with the article, but I mean, Kirby smart also set with reporters today and said, Hey, like I'm sure as hell going to try everything I can to eradicate this speeding issue. And we have an issue, but I also don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do that. And so you're going to probably see some of the same national media that took the original article and crafted very strong takes about, you know, Kirby Smart being out of control or Kirby Smart not being accountable to anybody, take this letter and use it as evidence in their mind that Georgia is just trying to kind of, you know, play a game of smoke and mirrors and keep you from looking at them. Go look over here at the AJC, right? And, and in reality, if anyone sits down and takes everything that happened today uh, and, and you know, really fully tries to digest all the events, not just the letter on itself, but also the fact that uh, Kirby Smart and basically the, you know, all the top people in Georgia's athletic department sat down today, and there was plenty of accountability taking for you know the the speeding that's been going on and the behavior of players in the program. Uh, Georgia is not trying to pretend like everything is perfect, but they are saying the the idea that there is a culture here that rallies around players who are accused of abusing women is ridiculous and fabricated. And I agree with it. I think it's right. I mean, it is correct. They've got to fix the speeding. They also aren't out there, you know, uh, putting out messages of acceptance to their players around treating women badly. Um, Those two things are not, you know, mutually exclusive. And so, I want to be very clear on that. Um, it is okay to sit here and say that the Atlanta journal constitution did some good reporting since the tragic accident on the night of January 15th, because they have there, there's been good facts that they have discovered, uh, through freedom of information act requests. It is also okay to sit here and say that, uh, They have twisted some of those facts or fabricated some of those facts to fit the narrative that they want to push. It is also okay to say that Georgia has a speeding problem and that the AJC has maybe, uh, you know, stepped out of the white lines here in terms of how they've covered Georgia in recent months. All those things are allowed to happen at the same time. And so... If you read takes on Twitter saying that George is just trying to, you know, distract from what's really going on and the problems in the th- program, then don't listen to it or just just repeat what we just talked about. All right, if it's all right with you guys, uh, I am going to move into some actual football type stuff. Um Rachel Skinner asks, is press conference today online somewhere? No, uh it, it was not really a formal press conference, is my understanding. It was more a uh, sit-down in one of uh in one of the kind of the meeting rooms um, on campus there, uh, and, and really more just a an hour-long uh, conversation between George's uh Brass, Kirby Smart, Josh Brooks, uh Darice Griffin, who's the I believe senior deputy athletic director um, and the uh, office for equal opportunity. I, I, I'm saying that wrong, but um, basically, you know, the Georgia's title nine kind of office. Um, and I can tell you guys, I mean, bef- before we wrap this up, I'll just say that, you know, I've, I've talked to to people within that athletic department and I've, I've asked questions and uh, the answer that's come back is, you know, Every single incident that has happened involving a female and any athlete, not just a football player, uh, gets reported immediately to either the Athens Police Department or the Office for Equal Opportunity, whichever is the proper channel, uh, depending on that incident. And so, um, you know, there's not (laughs) some big conspiracy going on here, regardless of what some might have you believe. Um okay uh I play games wants to know is Ellison Rob is, is Ellis Robinson the fourth recruitment totally shut down now yes it is uh he is not taking any other visits he will be a Georgia football player um and I believe he plans to enroll early but don't 100% quote me on that uh I will ask him though All right let's get into some questions and if you have a question you're watching live, uh, just put it in the chat and I will answer it. That is one of the advantages of watching live. All right. Um, Tampa Dog has a recruiting question. Uh, kind of ask about uh, Alabama's recruiting class for 2024. He says... I know Alabama tends to get off to a slow s- start in recruiting, but this one feels slower with the amount of big time kids already committed. Do you think they end up with a top five class again still? Um, yeah, recruiting's changing, right? Like Georgia has basically a full class worth of recruits right now, and it is uh, it's not even July 15th yet or not even SEC media days um, in years past. You know, they might have 8, 9, 10, 11 right now. So I, I think with NIL, uh, guys, they want to find their spot. They want to secure their future. They, they want to make sure they, they have a place. And so there's, I think, kind of less games that are played. Um, if I was a five-star recruit, personally, I would wait till the very end of the cycle and then talk to, you know, two or three teams that just had a really bad regular season with head coaches that are on the hot seat and, uh, in need of some positive headlines and I would leverage the shit out of it and (laughs) demand uh, a large NIL package and make sure that my mama got a house and I got a new car, but that's just me. Um, yeah, I, I do think Alabama is a little bit behind where we're, we're used to seeing them. Um, it's not just that they are not sitting here with a lot of commitments. It's more that, you know, they're they're still, I think, um, they're just not in on all the guys that we're used to seeing them be in on. I mean, Julian Sayan is a great quarterback, you know, um, but that's not really been the issue with Alabama football lately. Like, Alabama's got skill players. They're going to have athletes in the secondary uh, front seven and offensive line has been the problem with Alabama football lately. And I don't really see anything happening yet for them that would make me feel better about that. Um, I mean, they have, they have a couple four-star linebackers committed uh, just to be a hundred percent. I mean, they're both, top 200 players, so I'm sure they're good players. They're not stars, but they're probably going to get DeMarcus Riddick to flip from Georgia. So that will be a big get for them, right? Um, I I just... I don't see the offensive line recruiting. Uh, the They've got one three-star guard who's 6'4", 295. So that's more of a probably developmental prospect in the SEC at, as an inside offensive lineman. Um, so... I think it's fair to say that yeah they probably you know uh, are are in need of some some help there um, they also though you know will likely uh, we'll, we'll probably see them make a big push they have Nil resources like they're they're not gonna go out quietly, but I, you know, they're sitting at 12 commits right now. Um, they are still ranked fourth nationally. Um, so, you know, will they end up with a top five class? I'd, I'd be surprised if they didn't, but maybe, maybe they don't. Um, you know, I, I just think as long as Saban's around, it's it's going to be hard for them to, to not end up with a five-star class. Um, but you look at top prospects and they're coming off the board quickly. Like a lot of guys are are wrapping up their, their recruitments and making their decisions. And I think the honest thing, regardless of what Alabama is telling people is if you're a, um, if you're a recruit right now and you're sitting there, do you really think that Nick Saban is going to be your coach? when you finish your career, if you're a 2024 kid, you know, you're talking about enrolling in December of 23 or in, you know, May of 24, June of 24, whenever it is. And then is he there four years later? I don't think so. I know he says he's going to be, I know his contract says he's going to be, but um, I don't think he is. And I think, you know, if he's able to snag another national title, then I, I think he walks away then. So, yeah. I mean, I, the question is, do you want to go to Alabama if they haven't won a national title in a, what, that would be six years at that point? Or seven years? Something like that. Yeah, six years, maybe. seven Seven years. And then, you know, or do you want to be coached by the guy that's got to replace the greatest of all time? And do you think that a really good football coach is going to sign up for that job? Nobody smart with a a very bright future is going to come in and try to be the guy that replaces Nick Saban because you're not going to be successful. Um, You know, you want to be the guy that replaces the guy that replaced Nick Saban. So, uh, Harry, I agree. Bama's line of scrimmage recruiting has slacked, but even more fascinating uh, is that Bama's line of scrimmage recruiting hasn't slacked. Like from a star standpoint, it is not slacked at all. Um, The the evals have slacked. And when you look at uh, Georgia's recent offensive line commits, I won't say who, but I'll tell you that one of the, the many offensive linemen that committed to Georgia recently got offered uh, a large 11th hour NIL deal um, to, to attend one of UGA's rivals. Right. Like I think that offensive line recruiting is hard. Offensive line evaluations are hard and Georgia has done a very good job with them. And so what you're seeing is uh, you know, Teams, you know it's like well if Georgia wants the kid then we should want the kid right It's probably a pretty smart way to, to operate at this point in time considering what Georgia's doing recently and so uh, you know you, you go through the, um, the the whole recent history of Alabama's offensive line classes and a large percentage of these kids have transferred uh, John, John Tweet Sports has actually been working on something along the lines of uh, of documenting all of the, the evidence on this. But we were texting about this recently in one of our little Dog Central group chats, and um, it, it's a large, large number of, of players who have struggled to Pan out uh, for for Alabama on the offensive line. Like I think it has been something along the lines of. Where is the number? I'll find the number for you guys and we'll address later. I'll or John will tweet it. Sorry. Um. Okay, moving forward. Uh. One of you guys. Yeah, no, there, they, it does look things to, to be fair and transparent. Uh, it does look like things are, are starting to trend back upwards for them for Alabama on, on the line of scrimmage or particularly on the offensive line. The defensive line, still a question mark for me, but, uh, yes, he looked good. And the left tackle from Iowa, uh, Caden Proctor, I believe stud recruit. He looked good as well. Um, Randy Payne, South Georgia loves the dogs. Yes, they do. Uh, I'm going to answer one of your questions. Uh, what about the running back from California? I'm assuming you're referring to Nate Frazier. Uh, depending on which recruiting service you subscribe to, he is the number one running back in the class. I I think that he uh, I think he'll ultimately commit to Georgia. Um, it feels like everything's pointing in that direction. Do I know when? I, I think it'll be soon-ish. Uh, I think it'll. I think it'll happen probably before the season. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like Georgia is in a very, very good spot in that recruitment. Um, I don't think he'll be the very next guy to commit to Georgia, but he could be. Um, let's go below. Uh, is Oregon getting two linebackers recently? Good news for UGA and Justin Williams. Yes, it is. Uh, we at Dog Central we the very first media outlet to put out a public prediction for Justin Williams to go to Georgia. Uh, we did that, I believe, sometime last week, and uh, a lot of others have followed uh, following this past weekend. Yeah, I, I think Justin Williams is going to go to Georgia. Um, if you want to know when that's going to happen, uh, truthfully, there was some – Some sources that thought it might go down this past weekend, it didn't. Uh, I think that it will probably go down soon, though. And it might not happen until after DeMarcus Riddick makes his decision. One thing we know about Kirby Smart is that he loves to follow a bad recruiting headline with a good recruiting headline. And I think that DeMarcus Riddick is probably going to flip out of this class most likely going to flip to Alabama. And what is a bigger flex as a college football program than to to lose, you know, a, a highly rated linebacker to a conference rival and then to get a commitment from an even higher rated linebacker. Like that's I don't know. I mean it's it's heady times to be a Georgia fan, especially if you're a Georgia fan who likes to follow recruiting because it's about as good as it gets. Um, Speaking of linebacker recruiting, our good friend Craig Lawson is asking uh, is, is Chris Cole a realistic option as second inside linebacker, assuming Riddick flips and Williams commits. I'm very interested to see what Georgia does with the linebacker class. Um, Let's assume that Riddick flips and Williams commits. You get Williams. Williams is an all around Guy, he reminds me of, a lot of, like, a smile Um long, athletic, can do everything you want. Chris Cole I met at Elite 11, and he is a very tall human being. Like, he's, I, I think, maybe a legit 6'3". Um, he's, he's big for a linebacker, and he is very long and lanky. Not as filled out yet. So, if you're Georgia, I think you look at your room – and you say, what do we need more? Do we need a guy who can thump in the middle between the tackles? Um, you know, do we, do we need a guy who is going to be able to come in and, and play early, which they don't need a guy who can come in and play early with the linebacker recruit uh, depth that they've recruited. But it's like, do we want somebody that is going to be the guy that fights off blocks in the, the middle of the, the line and takes on offensive linemen? to, to make tackles on running backs, or do we want more of a modern linebacker who is comfortable dropping in zone coverage is comfortable uh, covering a running back or a tight end and man coverage, 20 yards downfield. If you want that, then you want Chris Cole. Um, and I think if Chris Cole's frame fills out the way that it could and should, he could, be another one of George's, you know, freaky, excellent linebacker recruits. But um, I just think, you know, he's he's a guy who was playing DB up until not that long ago. Uh, so, you know, that's where his skill set is is more uh, skewed to right now. Um, Riddick is, is from Alabama, right? Yes, Riddick is from Alabama. Um, and I think that's bigger, you know. It's just sometimes it's hard to get those kids out of the state. Um, Corey Williams asked, do we have a legit shot at Williams-Donary? Yeah, Georgia does. Um, I will direct you to posts that I made on Dog Central over, uh, over the weekend on him for, for more. Um, there's some stuff in that that I would rather not say publicly on there. I'll go give it a read, and you will see. Um, let's get some more subscriber questions here. Uh, Brawn Dog, uh, Actually, we'll save that. Um, what is your confidence scale uh, from 1 to 10 on Georgia getting Nate Fraser? Uh, 8.5. Do you still think UGA has a chance to have the greatest recruiting class of all time? This is from Steven B to B to B. I don't know if you do a lot of business to business sales or what, but uh, Oh, back to back to back. Steven is calling for a third one. Sorry. Translate this uh, here a little better for you guys. I, uh, I do think that Georgia still has a chance at having the, the greatest Offensive line class. Of, I'm sorry, greatest uh, recruiting class of all time. Yeah, I mean, I, look, let's get right here. Okay, number one quarterback Dylan Raiola in the class. Number one defensive back Ellis Robinson, the fourth in the class. Um, you are, I think, going to sign the number one safety in uh, KJ Bolden. You're probably going to sign the number one running back and Nate Frazier, and you're probably going to sign the number one linebacker in the country in Justin Williams. That's already freaky. That's unprecedented, and you're in it for Williams and Airy. Do you get him? I'm not sure, but you could. It's on the table. I think that Georgia has always been in a better place with him than anybody realized, and then he came to campus right before the dead period started. And I think some people that cover recruiting nationally were like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Um, Because I think a lot of people had just kind of figured it was a foregone that he was going to Oklahoma. Um, The – I think that recruitment with him is going to depend somewhat on, you know, just what what he wants and what he values. Uh, But Georgia is – very much there. And I think if all things are equal, that Georgia probably will land him. Um, So yeah, I would say that Georgia still has a chance at the greatest recruiting class of all time. I'm very curious how that will be calculated because I think this class for Georgia is going to go like 30 to 33 kids deep. Um, And if you're wondering why it's because as long as you stay under the 85 scholarship number, you are allowed to sign as many players in a cycle as you want. And Georgia is going to lose a ton of guys early to the NFL draft after next season. So uh, they're, they're basically kind of planning ahead for that from a number standpoint, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's already like on historic levels, at least for this point in the cycle for where we are here in, in early to mid July. I'm not sure if we've ever seen a class that's been this complete, at this point in the year, so. All right, uh, Hunter asks. I know we have over a year until twenty twenty four, but if you had to guess, who are your top five current twenty twenty four recruits who will have the greatest impact uh, in in their freshman season? That's a, that's a fun question. Um, let's go here. So, uh, Dylan Rayola has to be on that list. I'm sorry. Dylan Riola has to be on that, that list. Um, He's the number one quarterback. Uh, If if things go according to plan, Carson Beck should be gone after this season, I would think. Um, Like it's takes a lot to start uh, anywhere as a true freshman, as a quarterback, but I think he's got as good a shot as anyone that will, I've seen come into Georgia since Matt Stafford Um, tools wise, body wise, he's already mature. He's already there football IQ wise. He's very much, I think, you know, prepared to digest and understand a college offense. There will be tons of growing pains, but he gets it. Um, And then just his processing ability is as good as any, anyone I've seen his age. Uh, his ability to see the field is just different. So yeah, I, I expect that we will hear his name quite a lot and whether or not he has an actual on-field impact, he is going to have an impact on that, that roster and what other guys in that quarterback room may or may not do. Um, he's going to have an impact on recruiting. He already is having a big impact on recruiting. So he's got to be one of those five. Uh, Number, I'm not doing these in any particular order. I'm just going to give you guys five. Uh, I think you have to have Jaden Riddell on the list of impact players for for their freshman season from this 2024 class. That kid is just freaky in terms of his, his ball skills, and you're losing Brock Bowers. And, I, and I, I don't think that Georgia Georgia has run as much 12 personnel as anybody in the country but Utah over the last two seasons while winning back-to-back national titles. Some of that is because they had the right personnel to do that with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, but some of that has been very intentional in terms of how Kirby Smart has designed his, his team and the versatility of his offense and wanting to be able to – go and create matchup conflicts for every team that they face. Uh, you know, you, you saw it last year with with Washington and Bowers all the time. If you bring in guys that are big enough to handle them in the run game and their blocking ability, then those guys are going to get toasted downfield when they decide to, to run a play-action route. And if you bring in guys that are small enough to cover them, then they're just going to get pancaked and Georgia's is going to run big chunks of yardage down the field on you. So, um, yeah. Riddell is definitely one cause you've got to replace, uh, Bowers. And I think that Jaden Riddell and Lawson lucky would be a pretty nasty tight end combo in 2024. Um, I think, uh the the running backs are are going to have to, you know, George is going to need some running backed up. They like to play lots of guys at that position. So, um I'm curious to see like Nate Frazier is is awesome. He's a great player, but uh I think Dwight Phillips might step in in 2024 and have a more immediate impact because uh he's a guy who uh i you know a lot of people look at his skill set and look at his tape and argue over whether he should be a running back or a wide receiver and that's kind of the big question for me in the 2023 Georgia running back room is who is going to be that Kenny McIntosh type to catch passes so if you have a uh, a guy like Phillips who's coming in and I think will probably step on campus and, and Frazier has good receiving ability as well, but, but I think Phillips is a little bit better and he's just kind of that home run hitter style back. Um, I just could see Georgia trying to get him on the field early in 2024 and sneak him out on a wheel route a couple times a game or, or something along those lines, get a matchup on a linebacker for a big play. Um, so I'll, I'll say him. That is my third. Uh, Number four is Ellis Robinson, the fourth. I just think he's a really good corner. I know that room is very, very deep, and it's going to stay deep, but Georgia will lose. Kamari Lasseter after this season, uh, probably to the pros. And then, um, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how the rest of things kind of shake out in that DB room, but I just think Robinson is going to – he's going to be one of those guys that steps, steps in early and has so much athletic ability that, you know, whether it's playing some, you know, in some kind of dime packages or uh, playing that sort of slot corner star hybrid role or something. I, I just think anytime you have that much talent, there's a good chance you're going to have an impact early. And then I am going to say – Um, who else do we got here? I think that number five could be, I mean, we, we know that Georgia likes to play a ton of defensive linemen and we know that they like to get these young guys in on third down packages. And just tell him to go chase after the quarterback and make sure the quarterback doesn't, doesn't, you know, don't lose contain on the quarterback. And if you see a lane where you can get there and sack him, go. Um, so I look at Joseph Jonah Janye, uh, just his natural kind of freaky athleticism, good fit for that role. Um, as is Nanamdi Okbak Ogboko, excuse me, sorry for that. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think I'm sorry, not Ugboko. Um, the uh, the other kid that they just signed. Sorry, uh, what's this defensive lineman's name? Oh my god, I'm drawing a blank. Um, Justin Green could be one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Georgia is going to if you're a defensive lineman or an edge rusher and you sign with Georgia, you got a chance to get on the field early. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, Sacred Grove. What about Oscar Delp? I'm assuming you're referring to my uh, comment on Lawson Lucky and uh, Jaden Riddell being a, uh, a good potential tight end combo in 2024. Oscar Delp's still a good player. Um, I just think that lucky, like just might be better, you know, that's not a knock on Delp. I just think, uh, you know, the, the question with Delp for me is, is going to be, do, will his blocking ever kind of fully, uh, get to the spot where he's a guy that Georgia trusts as an inline tight end, you know, for three downs. And I'm not sure it's there right now. And I think it's going to take some time to get there. And so uh, we'll see, right. We we will see. But um, I think his route running ability and his pass catching ability are are still very, very good. Uh, But, you know, Georgia, what they need in their tight ends is less, uh, less kind of that stand up flex tight end. And it's often more about getting in the trenches and creating uh, numbers, advantages in the run game, or creating matchup problems downfield. So that's that's why I said what I said. Moving along. Um, top three offensive and defensive players that weren't starters last year. Man, you guys are putting me to work today. Okay. One moment, please. Pull up my roster here. Okay. While I'm looking this up, um, Harry asked about how any injured players are coming along during workouts. Uh, I still don't have really good intel on that. I don't think I will until fall camp starts, but um, I think everything's moving along fine. I know Mondin is, I've heard just kind of the that usual sort of cliche, like shows up and uh, works really hard on his rehab type thing on on Mondin, um, which I believe, I'm not saying it's not true or anything. It's just like, uh, you know, I think, him and and Branson and those guys are all doing what they need to do to get back on the field. Um, The running back room, it sounds like everybody's ready to go. Uh, Other than Robinson, I'm not positive yet, but Andrew Paul and Kendall Milton, everything seems fine with those guys. Should be ready to go for uh, fall camp. So um, Definitely excited to see Andrew Paul again. I got to see him up close in person when I was down on the field before G-Day. And he was in pads, going through some some warm ups and catching some passes and stuff like that. And uh, that kid's big, dude. Like he looks big, even standing next to Kendall Milton. Um, he is gonna be a handful. Uh, not sure, you know, how quickly he's able to realistically bounce back, um, but we'll see. Like. I think that he's going to be a good one for Georgia. It's just kind of a matter of when, not if. Um, All right, so top guys that were not starters last year, top three offensive players that weren't starters last last year. Okay, Uh, Amarius Mims, easy one, right? I know he filled in as a starter in, I think, one or two games, but wasn't really formally a starter, Um, so I'll go with him. I would say uh I mean I, I think one of them is a healthy Kendall Milton. Like if if Georgia gets fifteen games of Kendall Milton healthy, um that's hard to it's hard to not like their offense even more just because uh That sort of matchup problem philosophy that we were just talking about in regards to the tight ends very much applies to a running back like him who, uh, you know, can can be a bruiser in the secondary and knock over your defensive backs and, and really mess up the second level of your defense. But he's a better pass catcher than people realize. Like we've seen him catch some wheel routes over the years and he's got natural hands. Like he can do things downfield. Um, and if Georgia's offensive line is as good as I expect it to be, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for running backs to uh, to get downhill and get to the second level untouched. And if that dude gets going full speed downhill, he is a problem in the open field. So, um, yeah, I would I would put him on the list. And then uh, I uh, I think the other the third one I'm going to agree with, with our friend, uh, Craig here, uh, is Dominic Lovett. Um, yeah, I mean the, what he did at Missouri was pretty impressive. Um, one stat that I like to look at, it's kind of a weird, uh, a weird stat is, um, yards per route run. And, uh, I just think it's informative because you get lots of wide receiver stats, you know, in, in the sport and, people bring up oh this guy had this many receptions it's like well okay but you know he caught four and a half screen passes a game and three and a half of those went for less than six yards like receptions maybe doesn't mean that much or um you know it, yards per route run just is very good distillation of like w- what happens with your opportunities right how many how many routes you run and how many yards each of those get and the benchmark for I would say very good to elite wide receiver play in the SEC over the last few years has been um, 2.00 yards per out run. Okay, and so I uh, I look at that and I look at Dominic Lovitz' season last year, and uh,
1: other than Jalen
0: Hyatt who won the Bolitnikov Award. Uh, if you look at guys that had more than just, you know, like 10 targets or something like that, um, Lovett was the highest YRR yards per route run uh, in the SEC. So um, that's pretty good, right? I think it's very good. And you look at his YRR. Let me figure out what it was here. 2.94 yards per route run. Um, so that's that's a lot. It's not uh, – just to be clear, because you said I used to run 15, 20-yard routes every play in high school. They, they just never threw it to me. It's, it's how many yards receiving you have per a route run, not how many yards you actually traveled. We're not tracking these guys like soccer players and saying, oh, you ran seven miles. Great work, great today. No, it doesn't matter, uh, like you said, if the ball doesn't get thrown your way. So, um, Dominic Lovett, 2.94 yards receiving per every route run. You think about that, that's that's pretty damn good. Basically, every time he goes out for a pass, it translates in the aggregate to three yards for the offense. Um, It's not bad for a guy who had... uh, 76 targets with 56 catches last year, but only ran 292 routes. Uh, Sacred Grove, who had the highest YRR on our team? I assume Brock. Uh, you assume correctly, I believe. Let me make 100% sure of that. Um, pretty sure it's Brock. Actually, it was probably Arian, but Arian didn't have a large number. Okay, so if you take garbage time out, um this is actually going to surprise you. Brock was Brock was highest in 2021. So for 2022, um Cole Spears, Savon Clark and McKay Muse are all uh high on the list, but they had, you know, a combined six catches between them. Uh if you get into um guys who actually played a decent amount. The first one you come to is Dominic Blaylock, who only had 16 targets and 12 catches last year, but they were very timely 12 catches. But uh Blaylock had 2.67 yards per route run last year. Um, and then we had uh, – going down the list, you had Ad Mitchell at 2.46, too small of a sample size to really matter. But he, uh, in 2021, he was, you know, a high volume target for Georgia's receivers, but, uh, AD was actually only, um, I think he was like seventh or eighth on the team. He was like 1.37 YRR or something like that. So not super efficient, but he struggled with drops a lot in 2021. Um, Kenny McIntosh, 2.42 yards of route run. Just another kind of good good evidence of his value. Um, Kyrus Jackson was 2.15. Again, he's kind of in that blaylock category where not a very high-volume receiver. If I was tracking – when I track this stat, I usually look at it across the entire SEC, and I'm usually filtering for guys with like – 50-plus targets or 60-plus targets. Um, Jackson had just 28. So when you get into the guys that actually had high-volume targets, uh, Ladd McConkey was number one on the team uh, in YRR. So 66 targets, 46 catches, and 2.1 yards per route run. And then Bowers is right after him at 2.09. And then uh, And then Darnell Washington – Um, Aaron Smith is also another one of those guys in there, but only had a very small number of a small number of receptions last year, not very many targets. So not something I'm really going to pay a ton of attention to. Um, but yeah, YRR is a fun one. We'll continue. We, I talk about that a good bit in the 12 takeaways pieces, uh, that I try to do – not that I try to do, that I do every week during the season. So if you like nerdy stuff, come check us out at dogcentral.com. I forgot to do the top three defensive players who I think will be big names that weren't starters last year. Um, Let's go down that list real quick. Uh, I would say – I mean, number number one, like okay, so one is Tyke Smith, not number one, but just one of these three is Tyke Smith. Because um, I think he's in line to place s- the star position for Javon, Sh- Javon Bullard, who is going to move to safety, and him and Malachi Stark probably going to be the best safety tandem in college football, uh, in my personal opinion. Um, let's say somebody's got to step up in the middle of that defense with Jalen Carter gone. I, I think there's a lot of guys who could, uh, Stackhouse played so many snaps last year that I consider him a starter. I don't know if he was a formal starter, but, um, in my mind he was. So I would say, uh, somebody like it's either going to be a young guy or it's going to be a, an older guy who finally gets more snaps and uses those snaps effectively. Like I still think that Warren Brinson has flashed a ton of potential almost every time we've seen him on the field. Right. Like I, I could see him being a, a big breakout guy this year. Or I could see uh, uh, someone in the chat said Jordan Hall. I think Jordan Hall is a good choice. Um, You know, someone along that line uh, could be could be one of those players, and then who's going to be the number two cornerback? Right, that's whoever that is. Um, My somewhat like hot, controversial UGA defensive back take is that from just seeing guys up close in person on G day and going back over high school film, and and honestly, mostly from talking to sources who watch practice. Um, I think Georgia should bite the bullet, deal with the inexperience early in the season, and throw Julian Humphrey out there as the number two defensive back. I think he has the best physical tools and the highest ceiling of anybody in that room. And it's not that I don't like Nylon Green or Dalen Everett. I like both their games. I think they're they're very different. Um I think Green is a, you know, a little bit more of a, a physical straight up kind of defender. I think Everett probably a little bit better hips, a little bit more adept at, at handling twitchier wide receivers. Um but I just I just think that Humphrey's the, the dude that if he hits right. Can do it all. Can do everything in the book. Um, okay. David Josie, who is George's most important uncommitted target? Uh, most important. Well, they've done a good job of shoring up the offensive line, which is, I think, you know, the, the line of scrimmage is most important to me. I, I mean, I think you can make arguments for a lot of guys. Um, obviously, you could. But uh, I think it's important for them to get K.J. Bolton. You know, you're, you're sending... You're not sending, but like, you know, Dylan Riola is going to Buford. So he's going to be there in that program. Uh, You you almost never get elite players out of there, at least not in recent history. And it's one of the few football factories in the state that isn't just like a a solid Georgia pipeline, and you need to establish that pipeline. Um, and, And I also think that you're you're going to lose Bullard and Starks and early, you know, those guys are probably both going to be three and out and you're going to have to replace that tandem um, over the next couple seasons. And so having somebody like Aguero is already a stud. He's going to be a very good player for Georgia. He just moves differently than most people do on a football field, but you need depth back there. And you need, you need somebody. And, and yeah, Sacred Grove, you make a good point. Like they lost Caleb Downs last year to Alabama. You don't want to lose an elite safety prospect, the number one safety in the country type prospect two years in a row. And that's, that's what happens if you lose KJ Bolden. So you don't want to do that. Excuse me. All right. Moving on. Um, Rank the best head coaches in college football. Thank you. This will be fun. Uh, And then we got like one more and we're done. Yes, I play games. Starks has one more year after this year, but you got to replace those guys over the next couple seasons. What I think I said, or what I meant to say. Um, Best head coaches in college football. Number one, Kirby smart. I think it's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, I'm ranking guys off of who I would hire today if I had to pick somebody to run my program, not off of their, you know, their history or their resume. If you're talking history, it's obviously Nick Saban. He's got a lot of national titles. Nobody's arguing that. But if I'm hiring somebody to run a college football program right now and deal with college football in its current format right now, which is NIL and uh, the the culture things that, that that can bring to a locker room and the the balance that you have to do with kind of the de-recruitment period of different athletes. I want Kirby Smart to run my program. And I think that Kirby Smart has done a good job of not being seduced by what's popular in the sport. Nick Saban used to dominate college football by relying on his defense in the line of scrimmage. And then somewhere in the late 20 teens, he popped up and, you know, he, he brought in Lane Kiffin, which was not in and of itself a bad thing at all, but he changed his philosophy to everybody scores points now. So you gotta be able to score a lot of points. And in doing that, he almost kind of started making uh, an expectation for his defense to give up more points. And, even during the kind of offensive explosion of 2019 LSU and the, the 2020 uh, Alabama season where everybody pressured Kirby smart to have a more high flying offense. He still stuck to his guns with his defense and said, our our goal is to give up 17 points a game and that's what we're going to do. And then they went out against Clemson, a team that had been to the college football playoff, I believe six years in a row, I think at that point, maybe seven, and held them to a field goal and won the football game. And then they, you know, they're 29 and one since. And a lot of that has been good defense. But they also have the offense when it's time to come back against an Ohio State who is having a good night and your defense is not they've got the offense to go and do it. They, you know, they, they can go score 50 when they need to. Um, so I think Kirby has the right kind of dial on, on, you know, I think he's got his volume sort of turned to the exact right spot in terms of how to balance the demands of the sport currently, and also how to manage personalities currently. And as, as much shit as everyone likes to give, uh, you know, Georgia for being like nobody nobody respected us or nobody picked us to win a national title um, after they, they beat TCU by 58 that's that's his job that's Kirby smart's job is to to motivate 18 year olds and to get all of these individual personalities to function as one and to push in the same direction for the same thing and he, he did um, he made those guys. He made the best football team in the country think that they weren't, you know, or, or basically think that people didn't believe in them. And that's, that's what he's supposed to do. So uh, credit to him for that. Uh, after Kirby and Nick, um, I think it, I think it gets interesting. There's people that are going to say, well, Dabo is the other guy that has two national titles. Um, that's true. He does have few national titles. He's also uh, doing a lot of things as a head coach to unnecessarily uh, make his job harder and to unnecessarily make his team not as good. So it's hard for me to call him the third best coach in college football right now because he doesn't take advantage of just the the natural easy things that you can do uh, with, with your roster. Like he, he, doesn't want to use the transfer portal and instead he wants to give scholarships to a bunch of like dabos, you know, a bunch of walk-on wide receivers who are never really going to contribute anything to the the team except for maybe a special teams tackle on kick coverage here or there when Clemson should be going out there and bringing in studs out of the portal. Um, So I, you know, I also am interested to see what happens with their defensive line uh, post- Post, uh, what's his name? Brent Venables. Um, after, so, you know, I, I, I don't know. At third place, I'm actually probably going to go with Brian Kelly because I think what he did at Notre Dame is as good as you could do at Notre Dame, really, going to a, a national title game and, and two college football playoffs over a, a nine-year span. Pretty impressive 10 year span, I think. Um, so I'd put Brian Kelly third. Uh, I'll put who do I want fourth here? I will go with uh, I'm gonna go with Whittingham. Um, I think that, you know, he's good. I think he's done a very good job at Utah over the years, and I think he's kind of maximized the potential of that program. He's built it up from from the bottom to the top. I don't always agree with his in-game coaching decisions, but um, I think if you put him at a bigger school with better resources, that he would outperform a lot of guys. That. Maybe get ranked ahead of him, and that's why I'm not ranking like a Lincoln Riley ahead of him. Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day, their next good defense will be their first good defense. And I, I just I can't call you one of the five best head coaches in college football if if you can't field a good defense. This is not just I know that offense is sexy and people like to write about offense and tweet about offense and people understand offense better than they understand defense. And so there's more people to talk about it, but I can't, can't put you on the list. Um, I would put Dabo at number six. I guess I'll put Harbaugh at five. Um, What he's done, I think is, again, he's one of those guys that's kind of swam against the tide a little bit in terms of saying, Hey, why are we trying to, Be, you know, we're not ever going to out athlete Ohio State. Let's out physical Ohio State. Like, I I respect people that look at the situation, assess it from a realistic viewpoint, and then create a strategy to overcome the situation. So, that is my top five of coaches. um, Who are emerging leaders on this year's defense? Um and offense. This is from Boise dog. Uh, honestly, I would wait until fall camp to make any big proclamations on who the leaders are of, of Georgia's team. I, I do think that, um, you know, Dumas Johnson is definitely one of those guys. Uh, you know, there, there's some guys that are already established there. Um, Cedric Van Praan, Rock Bowers outworks everybody. Um, I think Gunnar Stockton is, is somebody who's already a, a strong leader for Georgia, just as work ethic and all of that. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would hold off on kind of making that decision until we hear more about what happens in those, those brutal fall camp style practices. Um, All right. Well, that is all the questions that I have loaded up for the evening. So um, on that note, I think we are going to go ahead and sign off. Um, I appreciate all of you for tuning in this evening. A lot of you watched live uh, for an hour and 20 minutes. So thank you for that. Didn't intend to go this long, but uh, you guys put in so many good questions that it was easy to to keep rolling and talking. So appreciate all the good fodder from both our subscribers and live viewers. And uh, really, really appreciate all of you who subscribe to dog central. If you're not, please come check us out. Um, I think what we do is different and unique. Our, our message board is not a bunch of uh vitriolic uh, kind of, you know, yelling at each other over the internet. Uh, we, we do not talk politics at all at Doc Central. There is a moratorium on any political post. Uh, we have yet to have a political post in over a year of functioning and uh, knock on wood, we will continue that way. Um, and I just, you know, I mean, I, I think we we talk about football and discuss it from a little bit different angle. And if, if you are interested in recruiting Intel, I can promise you that there are things that we are sharing on our site right now that nobody else is sharing and that we are talking about certain things uh, in a more transparent manner maybe than than some others do. So www.dogcentral.com slash subscriptions if you want to check us out. Um, Other than that, uh, we'll probably be back on later this week to kind of ramp up for media days and then I'll be at media days next week. And I hope to do a live, live broadcast on Tuesday from Nashville uh, after Kirby smart and uh, the Georgia players come through town. So um, stick with us, please subscribe to the channel so you can get notified when we go live. And also this show appears in audio format on the dog central uh, podcast feed. You can find that feed anywhere you find podcasts until then have a good evening.